today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We're going to pick it up with verse 24 tonight. Romans 3, verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we went over... These words last week, I want to take a few minutes and go back over it again. They say that repetition is the best teacher. A lot of times we read the Word of God and we see these words and we think we know what they mean or we've got a kind of an idea, but let's see if we can identify what some of these words mean. The first word I want to look at is justified. It means not guilty to be declared innocent of all charges. It's one day when we stand before God, it'll be as if though we've never sinned, justified, never sinned. That's justified. We're justified the moment that we are saved. But you have to keep in mind that we are still in this flesh and we are still in this world. And according to verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, meaning that although we're saved, we still come short of His glory. So although we're justified the moment of salvation, we are also being justified. There's a process that we all have to go through. It's called sanctification. It's the sanctification process of which we have looked at the past few Sunday mornings, but we're being Uh, justified freely, freely. It's a gift of God without money, without price. You can't buy it. There's nothing you can do to earn God's justification. If you try to earn it, then that makes null and void the whole contract. So it's given to us freely. Uh, Freely also means or suggests the way in which it is to be received. Like I said, you can't earn it. Being justified freely by His grace. The word grace, uh, most people know it as unmerited favor, umbrella grace in which God saw the sins of mankind, sent His Son into the world to die for the sins of mankind, and that's how we're saved. Grace. But the word grace has a little bit different meaning 
as it pertains to the believer. The Greek word for grace is charis, and it simply means uh, divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. The moment we get saved, we're justified, we're forgiven of our sins, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and lives, He's that divine influence that's within our lives. He is now the driving force within that causes us to do what's right. We now have a desire to go to church, to hang around godly people, to read His Word, listen to godly music and so forth. All of these things that go on, I I started to say naturally, actually it's supernatural. It's supernatural when a person has a desire to go to church. <laughs> yeah, that's a supernatural thing uh, that takes place in the heart of a person. Divine influence upon the heart. And then its reflection is in the life. The person begins to work out what God is working in. You can see a change in that person's life. That's the grace of God that's working. And all of us need His grace. Uh, The other thing I want to take a look at is the word redemption. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption. Uh, Because of sin, the whole human race is a slave to Satan. Sin is what gives Satan a legal right to hold man in bondage, to hold man in captivity. And uh, it all happened at the fall, way back yonder in the Garden of Eden. We are slaves to sin. But Jesus came and bought us out of the slave market paid the ultimate price for us, and once we accept that gift by faith, uh, the intentions is that we are never to be put up for sale again. Redemption. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All salvation is in Christ Jesus. There is no other. Verse 25, whom God has set forth, God has set forth his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in full view, full public view for everyone to see. And it's also God's solution to man's problem. Man's problem is sin. When you get right down to it, sin is the problem. And the Lord didn't send the psychologist to solve man's problem. That man's problem is not economical, although that is a problem. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the answer for man's problem. Set forth to be a propitiation. That's another big word. It means to make atonement for reconciliation. Uh, It's the act of getting rid of sin. Sin is that which has come between God and man, and Christ removed that so that we can have a relationship with God. John the Baptist, when he introduced Christ, said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood." It's faith in Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he did. That is the only thing that can remove sin, like I said, so that we can have relationship with God. 
the latter part of verse 25, this is where we're going to pick it up at tonight, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. Now, there's a lot said here in this verse. First of all, God has set forth the Lord Jesus Christ as the only one to be the satisfaction for our sins. But the benefits of his sacrifice are only available as we place our faith in the blood, which was shed on Calvary's cross. Uh, Secondly, God will only accept his righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. He'll only accept the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That alone, the righteousness of God, His righteousness, that alone is the only thing that God will accept. It is sufficient for all people, for all sins, for all time. The problem is we try to put up our own righteousness, which God cannot accept. Actually, when we try to do that, the Lord pulls back. He withdraws the righteousness of Christ. In the book of Galatians, of which we've taken a look at here some time back, we had the Judaizers coming from the church in Jerusalem. They were Jews who had accepted Christ, but they were also believing and keeping certain portions of the law, feast days and uh, so forth. Their faith was actually in the doing of those things. Paul said, if you do those things, Christ has become of none effect unto you. Today, we try to put up our Bible reading, our church attendance, our singing in the choir, our teaching Sunday school, our preaching, our fasting, the list goes on and on. We try to put those things up beside the righteousness of Christ. We try to somehow try to earn brownie points with God. When we do that, God withdraws Christ's righteousness, and it actually leaves us with nothing. As Paul said, Christ shall profit you nothing. The next thing we want to look at there in the latter portion of verse 25 is the word remission, to declare his righteousness for the remission. Uh, The Greek word there is parasis, which means to pass over, or to let pass. All the sins of those prior to the cross were passed over. In the book of Exodus, right before the children of Israel were let loose by Pharaoh, God said, take a lamb, cut its throat, let the hot blood pour out in a basin, take hyssop and apply it, to the post of the door, and he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that is what happened in the Old Testament. But when Jesus died on Calvary, the sin debt was paid in full. Uh, The next thing I want to take a look at here in this verse is the latter phrase there, that are past. God set forth Christ to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past.
past. Now, that refers to all of those who trusted in Christ before he actually came. That's the Old Testament saints. That covers the time from the Garden of Eden right on up to the time that Christ died. All of those individuals. Before Jesus came, people were saved by looking forward to the Redeemer who was to come. We today look back on what Jesus has already done. In the Old Testament, they were required to bring a sacrifice, a lamb without spot, without blemish. And that is what God said could be used to cover sin, but not take it away. Only Jesus Christ could take it away. All of that debt was still there. Old Testament saints, when they died, they didn't go to heaven. They went to a place called paradise, which is a compartment of hell. It's not the burning side of hell, but it is a compartment in hell. And the people there were comforted. They were not tormented. The Old Testament saints, because the sin debt was not paid, went to a place called paradise. If you remember when Jesus died on Calvary, one of the men that were hanging right beside him said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord said, today you will be with me in paradise, also known as Abraham's bosom. So they were in this compartment of hell. Like I said, they were comforted there, but they were not tormented. Uh, In the 16th chapter of the book of St. Luke, I believe it is, we have the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man, when he died, he went to the burning side of hell. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, also known as paradise. And the rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Lazarus afar off, said, let him dip his finger in in some water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. There was a great gulf fixed between paradise and the burning side of hell. When Jesus died on Calvary, he paid the sin debt. And the Bible says that he set, or he took captivity captive. He went down into that place called paradise, and he set free all of those Old Testament saints and took them back to heaven with him uh, when he was raised from the dead. Now, that's what Jesus did when he died on Calvary. He paid the sin debt. He went down into that area where the Old Testament saints was at, set them free, took them to heaven. Now, today, you and I, under the new covenant, Since the sin debt has been paid, the moment we die, the angels come and usher us in to heaven. Uh, We don't go to paradise now. We go straight to heaven. But I just thought I would throw that in. Uh, I won't charge you any extra for that. All right. To declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. In other words... God in his grace and mercy tolerated sin somewhat uh, before the cross. God just put up with it because he knew that the sin debt 
would be paid in full at some point in time. Verse 26, Romans chapter 3, verse 26. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. This is a declaration for everybody. The only way that God can be just and justify you and I is if our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that alone. That's it. Verse 27. Where is boasting then? Dana, if you will, go to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Where is boasting then? In other words, what have we got to boast or brag about? Salvation is not of us. It's totally of and in God through Jesus Christ. He took our sins and gave us his righteousness. Man has no part in it at all. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory or boast save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. We have nothing to boast about within ourselves. If we boast of anything, we boast of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. The song says, I owe it all to Jesus. I owe it all to Jesus. If I'm ever anything, all the praise to him I'll bring. It's all Jesus, I owe it all to Jesus. Where is boasting then? He said it is excluded, Romans 3, verse 27. Everything we have as far as salvation is because God gave it to us. We didn't earn it. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. By what law of works? Paul turned right around then and answered the question, no. There's no work that we can do to earn salvation, but by the law of faith. The law of Moses made man responsible, but the law of faith makes God responsible. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. It is the law of faith. I liken it to the law of gravity. I got a pencil here. You all know what happens if I let go. It's going to do that every time. I could stand up here and do it a thousand times. It's going to work every single time. It is a law. It is the law of faith. If your faith is in Christ and what he did at Calvary, guess what? You're saved. You're going to make heaven your home. That also works the other way. Whenever you have a law and you break the law, it has consequences. If, you're, if your faith is not in Christ and what he did and your faith is in something else, then you're going to pay the consequences for that. It is the law of faith. The law of Moses made man responsible. Here it is. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, keep the Sabbath day, and so on and so forth. All of those laws, man was responsible. But when it comes to the law of faith, God is responsible. 
verse 28, Romans 3, verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Paul is now beginning to end his dialogue with the Jews. It took him two chapters uh, to do it, chapters 2 and 3, but he's bringing it to a close now. And he's proven that the Jews are in the same condition as the Gentiles. They're both on the same level, and they both need a Redeemer. Verse 29, Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. The Jews thought that the Gentiles uh, thought of them as being outside the scope of salvation. Now, they could be saved, but it was only if they became uh, Jewish, which incorporated a lot of rituals and ceremonies, most of which wasn't even of God. God didn't say do most of those things they were coming up with. Actually, they were trying to do all these things to keep people from becoming Jewish. Jesus said in uh, Matthew 23, verse 15, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land and make one proselyte. In other words, you take a Gentile and you make him Jewish. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Now, think of that. They thought of the Gentiles as being outside the scope of salvation. They come up with all these rituals and rules and things and uh, tried to make the Gentiles do it. God intended for the Jews to evangelize the Gentile world, but not like that. You can see it way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis 12 and verse 3. Dana, if you will, pull that up. Genesis 12, verse 3, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Genesis 12 and 3, And I will bless them that bless thee, I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Look at that. It was God's intention for the Jews to evangelize the world, but not the way that they were doing it. Their self-righteousness perverted salvation. It shut the rest of the world out. Not only did they condemn others, but they condemned themselves as well. When Paul used the phrase, yes, of the Gentiles also, that means that salvation is on God's terms of faith instead of the Jewish terms of law. Let's look at verse 30, Romans 3, verse 30. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision, or the Jews, by faith and uncircumcision through faith. The uncircumcision, of course, speaks of the Gentiles. Again, Paul is placing the Jews on the same level as uh, the Gentiles. There's one God who justifies one world, and it's all done through and by faith. Verse 31. Do we then make void the law through 
faith. In other words, since salvation is by faith and not of works, do we just do away with the law then? Paul turned around and said, God forbid, yea, we establish the law. When you get right down to it, Christ is the very subject of the law. When you look at the brazen altar and the sacrificial system that God instituted in that, that altar typified the cross. The animal that was brought typified Christ. It was to be without spot, without blemish. Uh, The hot coals of fire that were on that altar typified the judgment of God upon sin. Um, For the past several weeks, we've been looking at the candlestick made of gold that was sitting in the tabernacle. That typified Christ. Every detail of it, when you look at it, uh, in some way typified Christ. The table of showbread typified Christ as the bread of life. That whole thing, all of that, um, all the rituals, all of it, in some way, pointed to Christ. All of the law, the commandments, the rituals, the feast days, all of it pointed to Christ in some way. Now, the question is, do we make void the law through faith. God forbid, yea, we establish the law. In other words, since the law points to Christ, and Christ is the subject of the law, we need to establish how Christ is in the law. In other words, we need to go back and look through the Old Testament and learn how Christ is in the Old Testament. Uh, The Apostle Paul said that the law was our schoolmaster. That's Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. Uh, For those of you that want to look it up. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, our teacher, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So no, we don't get rid of the law. We don't get rid of the Old Testament. Matter of fact, we use it to learn how the Old Testament pointed to Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 17, Think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He went on to say, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. So we don't do away with the law, the Old Testament. We learn from it. Now, in the fourth chapter of the book of Romans, Paul begins to deal with Abraham and David. And he's going to use them as an example. And we're just going to take a look at that next time. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com 
click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.